Well, hey there, everyone. I'm Daniel Hahn, and I'm the online campus pastor here at Oxford Assembly of God Church, and this is our podcast. And I just want to thank you for listening today. We hope the message you're about to hear inspires you, builds your faith, and helps you see that God has a purpose for your life. And now, let's get into the message. I recently, just a couple of weeks ago, I was doing my devotion, and I was reading in the book of Jeremiah, something that grabbed my attention. I'd read it before, but Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Now, this was not something that he got because he ate too much pizza. This was a word from the Lord. In the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. So the battle had already been surrounded. They had laid a siege against Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard. That was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Behold, I am given this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord." Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Then Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalem, your uncle, will come to you and say, By my field that is at Anathoth, for the route of redemption by purchase is yours. Then Hanamel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, buy my field that is in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin for the right of possession and redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So God spoke to him. Then his cousin came to him to give him the option of buying that property. Jewish law required them to offer it first of all to their nearest kin. And he said, and I bought the field at Anathoth from Hanamel, my cousin, and weighed out the money to him, 17 shekels of silver. I signed the deed, sealed it, got witnesses, and weighed the money on scales. Then I took the sealed deed of purchase containing the terms and conditions and the open copy, and I gave the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neri, son of Messiah, and the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, in the presence of the witnesses who signed the deed of purchase, and in the presence of all the Judeans who were sitting in the court of guard, I charged Barak and their presence, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this sealed deed of purchase and this open deed, and put them in an earthenware vessel that they may last for a long time. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be brought in this land. 
Now, this was a, an amazing story that God spoke to him and told him to buy this property. Now, some of you say, well, pastor, what was so intriguing about that? Now, why would you want to buy property if you knew that for the next 70 years you couldn't use it? Next 70 years, you couldn't use it. Now, before I go any further, let me give a disclaimer. Today, I'm speaking about investments. Not just any investment, but I'm talking about an eternal investment. And I know very little about investments. The day my ship came in, I was at the airport. <laughs> so I know very little about investments. So, so I may misuse some terminology. For all of you financial wizards out there, please forgive me. But I want to speak about this eternal investment. Now, as we go back to the story, again, we ask the question, why would you want to buy property when that property was surrounded by the enemy? And I know some of you say, well, pastor, that's a great time to buy if you can buy low and sell high. Now, I'm not the smartest person, but I know that that's a pretty good thing. Buy low and sell high. And you say, well, if it's surrounded by the enemy, they was probably willing to give him a bargain. Now, I have no idea what property values were. I, I have no idea what they were. But all I know is that they were said, his uh, relative, his cousin came to him, said, listen, you're next in line, and I want to sell you this property. Now, it could have been oceanfront property in Arizona. I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea what the value was. But God had already prepared the way and said, he's coming to offer you that and you need to buy it. But see, we, we know that Jeremiah had already told them that for the next 70 years, they were going to be slaves. They were going to be taken to Babylon. Now, what was the life expectancy during this time? Well, I tried to find that out, and I couldn't find specifically. I did find a, a little bit. I found out that prior to the Iron Age, the average life expectancy was 20 to 33 years. During the Bronze and Iron Age, it was 26 years of age. That was a, a, the average life expectancy. And then in, a few years ago, they unearthed a cemetery or a burial plot that was somewhere between 400 and 1,000 A.D., and they found 65 graves, and none of them were over 45 years of age. So why would you want to buy a field that, according to your own words, would be claimed by another empire for the next 70 years? Well, let's go back and see what Jeremiah had to say about that before we read further. See, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, it says this. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 
70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now that was talking about the land of Babylon, but they were going to be there 70 years. Back to chapter 29, verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So when I read that, I was wondering, well, why in the world would God want him to buy land that they couldn't use for 70 years? Knowing that chances were Jeremiah would not even be alive. Did you notice how careful they were to make sure it was legal? They had it all documented. They had done all the research. They had all the seals on it. They put it in a protective vase so they could keep it a long time. And so I asked, well, why would you buy a field? Well, the first thing I would say that he listened to his investment advisor. And that was God Almighty. Now, I don't know. I know some of you have got investors, but let me just, uh, got a, a financial advisor. But let me ask you, have you got someone that's never made a mistake? That's never lost you any money. Now, if you have, I've never made many investments, but I'd be willing to make some if you would guarantee me that I wouldn't lose you money. God told Jeremiah to do it. And God and Jeremiah did it. Now, let me give a little excerpt here because I often tell people that there are a lot of good causes out there that you can give to and donate to and invest to. How many knows there's a lot of great ones out there? A lot of great ministries, a lot of great things, but I normally encourage the people to give through the local church. Now, it's not because we don't make mistakes. It's not because we're the best uh, capable, but I just want to know where my money's going. Boy, it got quiet there. I know people tell me, Pastor, my money doesn't go very far. And I said, mine does. I send a check to North Dakota. I send one to South Florida. And my, my money goes a long way. It just don't stay around. That's my problem. But the amazing thing is when we give to, there's a lot of great causes. A lot of great causes. And I encourage people to give through the Assemblies of God. Now, I know some of you go to other churches, great churches, good things. But I want to know where my money's going. Okay? But then I also always say this. If God tells you to give, I don't care who he tells you to give to, do it. I said, I said do it. And I know some people say, but pastor, that's not very smart. But I like what one old guy said. He said, you know, when you're giving the offering, it becomes tainted money. It taint yours, it ain't taint mine, it's God's. <laughs> and when we are obedient to God, we do that. Now, that's not a plug for the offering. Y'all just relax. We're not taking a space to offering today. I know some of you are beginning to sweat it already. I saw you pulling your billful out and giving it to your wife so you wouldn't be tempted. Well, we're not taking a space to offering. But Jeremiah bought that field. But did you know Jeremiah asked the question, God, why do you want me to buy that field? 
You say, did he really? Well, let's look what scripture. Going back to 32, verse 16. And after I'd given the deed of purchase to Barak, the son of Neri, I prayed to the Lord saying, Ah, oh, Lord God, it is you who made the heaven and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of fathers to their children after them. O oh, great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of men, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to is the fruit of his deeds. You have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt and to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have made a name for yourself as of this day. And then he goes on and keeps talking to him. But what he was saying, God, I know you're almighty. I know you're all powerful. I know you told me, but why am I buying property that I'll never get used? I think we'd seen the answer to that a little earlier. So that God could prove himself. So God could prove himself. Drop down to verse 36 and 38 of that same chapter. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. He said, Jeremiah, go ahead and invest in it because I want you to know and I'm gonna prove myself that an investment in eternal things are always going to bring great reward. Amen. When we invest in the things of God, when we invest in the things of God, we may know and rest assuredly that God keeps accurate books. Now, I hope you understand I'm talking about a lot more than finances. How many knows there's a lot of things you give to God other than money? Amen. There's a lot of things you give to God other than money. So we're not talking about just... Uh, that. But Jeremiah asked the question and he, because he said, why did you want me to buy that property? I will never see a return on that investment. I'll never be able to farm it. But he reaped, he reaped a harvest and return because of his obedience. Friends, the God, the things we do for God may bring us blessings here on earth but the greatest results will be in eternity. We may see results here from what we do, but the greatest results is what we will see in eternity. An eternal investment. An eternal investment. Let's go over to the book of John and one of my favorite stories Jesus tells this story. Jesus and his disciples had been in Judea. And they were headed back to Galilee. The place where most of their ministry took place. And they were going back. But on their way, they had to go through Samaria. Now, Samaria was not a place loved by the Jews. Matter of fact, they called the Samaritans dogs. They looked down on them. They were critical of them. And they were not supposed to have anything to do with them. But on their way back, they went through Samaria. 
And when they got to the well, Jesus sat down to rest. Now, some people think and forget that Jesus was a regular human being. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And there's a good possibility they started out on that journey about daylight, and they'd already walked 20 to 30 miles. How many knows by noon you wore out? He was ready to stop. He was ready to stop. But the disciples, they had to be an assembly of God, folks, because they were hungry. (laughs) And, you know, they can't have a lunch hour pass without dinner on the grounds or something. And they said, Lord, let's eat something. He said, we don't have anything. He said, well, we'll go find, we'll go through the drive-thru. You sit here, wait on us. And so they went to get some groceries and they came back. And when they came back, they were totally blown away because here was Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman and that they knew he was not supposed to be doing that. And they looked at her and she did not fit the type of person they wanted to minister to. And they were ridiculing him. Although they didn't ridicule him, they said, uh, Master, here's food. And so let's pick up reading at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. To accomplish his work. Let me say that again. To accomplish his work. How many knows that we're still trying to accomplish God's work? We're still doing what he commissioned us to do, to accomplish his work. And then he said, do you not say there yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. White for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and the other reap. How many knows that Paul said that later on? He said, one sows, one waters, but one reaps. But it's God who gives the increase. It says, for here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and they you have entered into their labor. Now, what's he saying? What he's saying that some of the blessings that you and I are having advantage of, I thank God for this awesome church. And I know there's many great churches around. I I totally understand that. But I can tell you that many of the benefits that we're reaping today was from seeds that were sown 40 years ago or 50 years ago. People that did without because they wanted to plant a church and have a strong Assembly of God church in this area. And God has blessed us. I made sure I went beyond 38 because I've been here that long almost. So we're not resting on what we've accomplished, but what God has allowed us to do. This past May, when we honored our graduating seniors from high school, I received one of the greatest compliments that I've received as a pastor. When the young man said, and he wasn't even a a consistent member of our youth group, he came some, but he came during walk when he was just a kid. And he said, many churches talk about investing 
in the youth. This church doesn't just talk about it. It does it. That's an eternal investment. And regardless of what the economy does, regardless of what the stock market does, regardless of all the investments you have, regardless of what they do, I'm going to tell you, they're not as good as the internal investment of invested in the kingdom. The God remembers that. And that was one of the greatest testimonies and the greatest encouragement that I've ever had. Many churches talk about investing in youth. This church does it. See, many ministries are like the woman at the well. They're not pretty. Now, she might have been a beautiful lady. But we know that she'd been married five times, was living with a man that was not her husband. Probably the reason she was at the well by herself is because she was ostracized by others. They don't want to be there with that woman. And a lot of ministry is like that. It's ministering to people that nobody wants to be around. They don't want to be seen with them. But when God told Jeremiah, I said, buy that field. Because I want to prove you something. I want to prove to you that I will do what I said I'd do. You may never live to see it. But 70 years later, you're going to have that land. How many times have we seen God do that in Scripture? He promised something. And he's not one of these salesmen that are promising the moon. He always backs up what he says. He said that land. And he made sure. He said, I want you to do it all legal. I want you to do it the right way. So that whenever the time comes, you'll have the validation that I did what I said I would do. Wow. This woman, most people wouldn't have had anything to do with her. Now, some of you know that I have a different opinion than a lot of Bible scholars on this chapter. And that's totally all right. I realize that I'm not always right. But they're not either. And they've been wrong before. See, if you go to commentaries, you'll read that, that Jesus was talking about the physical harvest that was there in the fields. And it could have been. I've even read one says that it was time to harvest cotton. I don't even know if they had cotton there, but I've read this. Because the fields were what? White on the harvest. Well, that's not what I see. I see Jesus talking to that woman, and they were all eager to eat lunch so they could get on their journey, so they could get to their ministry, to get to where they were going. And Jesus said, I've got meat to eat that you know not of. Because this woman, this despicable woman, went and brought her friends. 
Now, what kind of friends do you think she had? A lot just like her. Other despicable people. And in all likelihood, they were all Samaritans. And I just kind of picture Jesus not pointing at the fields, but he sees this woman leading the crowd. He said, it's not four months until the harvest. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes the harvest. See, many ministries are like the woman at the well. The harvest doesn't look all that great. But that's before it gets harvested. See, it was the sixth hour. That's noon. And they'd already journeyed all morning. They had a right to be tired. They had a right to be hungry. But Jesus wanted to point out to them something. That the harvest is short-lived. I read an article just yesterday. I didn't read it in detail because I'm short on time. But it was written by a farmer that the government and their company was trying to, it was a a huge farm, and they were wanting them to go with electric tractors. And the guy just wrote him a letter and answered to it. And again, I just read, kind of scanned it. But it says, listen, during harvest time, we harvest thousands of acres. The tractor never leaves the field. How are we going to charge the batteries? We go 24 hours a day. What are we going to do? Make a long story short, the fallacy of using electric tractors is just not feasible. And I want you to know that's not a political statement there. I'm just saying it what it is. We realize some things that we cannot do. But the Lord of the harvest says we can do it. And these people that they were, he was, this woman brought to him probably was just like her. One of the joys of attending a conference like some of us attended this week is to hear reports from our missions. Well, I thank God for our missionaries. Jay Reisner gave a challenge there. Jay has produced a program, just a pilot program, at and an invitation. He was invited to do this. We've signed a contract with the largest TV uh, stations in Africa that they want us to produce a Christian children's program. They've challenged us to do it. We've already in the process and done some pilot programs that will have the potential of reaching a hundred million kids. A hundred million kids. And we're not demanding that we're going on. They're saying, would you please, please put this program on. While he was sharing that need, Jeannie, he carried us to 
a home for disabled people, mostly children in Africa, hundreds of kids. And it showed the place there, and there was a couple of things they needed. They did not have wheelchairs. They did not have any kind of crutches. And BGMC supplied thousands of dollars worth to buy them. But the real neat thing of this story is that in that town, they did not have any clean water. And a number of people had tried drilling and had not been able to locate water until the BGMC drilled a well on the premises of that home for disabilities. And now everybody in the community comes to get water at the Assembly of God well. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. So we hear those kind of things. And I want to tell you, when we get to invest, and I want you to know I had this message before I went to the conference. But when we get to invest in things that are eternal, the things that are temporary are not all that important. I love Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55 tells me something. How many of you are old enough to remember Green Acres? Did you like Mr. Haney? I love Mr. Haney. Now, I have a deal for you. Well, that's what Isaiah 55 is. I got a deal for you that God gives it. Come, everyone who's thirst, come to the water And who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love of David. Go over to the little book of Haggai. Now, Haggai is near the, chronologically near the end of the Old Testament. And fortunately, it is near the end in in listing here. But how many knows that the Old Testament is not put in chronological order? But Haggai was one of the, the prophets that was riding after Babylon had fallen. They had started rebuilding the temple or the walls of Jerusalem. They'd started, they started returning back and Haggai was a prophet that God encouraged to say, listen, remind them that they've got something to do. And so here's what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Is it a time for yourselves to dwell in panel houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into the bags with holes. What's he saying? When we're self-centered and all about ourselves, God's not required to bless that. Let me say that again. 
When we're consuming everything on ourselves, God, regardless of what some people say, there's some people with a prosperity doctrine that tells all Christians need to be, should be wealthy. That's not the biblical concept. The biblical concept, if you do what I want you to do, then I'll take care of you and bless you. How many knows there's a lot of blessings that God gives us that are not monetary? Amen. I can tell you, not having a kidney stone is a blessing of God. And if you've never had one, talk to Ted over there. Talk to somebody. Somebody told me this morning, they said, I've had hundreds. Bless your heart. One's plenty for me. I've had them a few times, but I, I don't want more than one at a time. But it says, if we're consuming it upon ourselves, it's like putting money into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord God of hosts. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of your busies yourself within your own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew and the earth is withheld the produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain and the new wine and the oil on what the ground brings forth on man and beast and on their labors. What's it saying? God said when we're ignoring the needs of mankind, ignoring the work that God has called us to do, he's not required to bless us as we continue to do our own thing. That's what the book says. See, eternal investments always bring great results. Have you ever gotten a printout of your investments and you looked at it and said, that's great. But then the next time you look at it and said, that's not so good. Matter of fact, I had more money for quit work than I do now. Your portfolio has not grown. It's actually diminished. Can I encourage you and let you know that that never happens in God's economy? Amen. Come on. God's not going to be indebted to anyone. And again, I hope you understand, I'm talking about a lot more than money. That's not the issue. God's not lacking in money. Now, see, if the U.S. government runs short, they just print some more money that means nothing. But my God, if he needs some more, he just creates it. He can just create another mountain with cattle on it because he already owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He can do that. Because he's almighty. And if he promises you something. See, that's what he was promising to Jeremiah. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to make an eternal investment. I want you to make some, an investment that's more meaningful than just buying a piece of land. He didn't understand it. It didn't make sense. I'm not an investor, but I'm going to tell you, if somebody comes by and tries to get you to invest in Swiss watches, you probably shouldn't. 
You say, why not? Because they're obsolete. They're not making them anymore, very few. Let's invest in the things that God wants us to invest in. Let me read one other passage of Scripture. Worship team, come on up. And I know he went around looking real diligently a while ago to try to make sure everybody had communion. But I want us to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I love the way this verse 6 starts. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound. Hey, I want to tell you, if I have to have a choice between money and grace, I'm going to take grace any day. He's going to have the ability to make all of grace abound so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, his distributed freely, his given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Let me say that again. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you, because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Your inexpressible gift. Your overwhelming gift. My heart is overwhelmed by this church's generosity. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't want anyone to think that this message is a, is a slam. But I just want to help us to focus not in this life, but in eternal investment. Eternal investment. See, he told Jeremiah, invest in this property that you will never occupy. Guess what? Your eternal investment is an investment that you cannot enjoy until you die. I know God blesses here on this earth. I know that. But how many knows that the blessings we're going to have in heaven is going to far exceed anything on this earth. So I'm going to tell you, if you bought your ticket at no cost, your ride's free. 
Just go on the train and ride it. But you don't want to ride it by yourself. I know I'm going a little long, but bear with me just a couple more minutes. I've been on a number of missions trips. All of them have been enjoyable. Well, one of my most vivid recollections is in Vienna, Austria. One of the most beautiful areas that you'll ever be in. Beautiful country, beautiful city, great architecture, a lot of rural settings. And we were over there remodeling a building that we'd turning into a church. And every night after work, we would go downtown. And we would get on the bus or the trolley, whatever you want to call it. A bunch of guys from Florida. A bunch of guys that were having fun. How many knows it's good to have Christians have fun? But when I look across the train, there was people looking at us like, what have they been drinking? What's wrong with those? What have they been smoking? Because they had no joy in their faces. No joy from appearances anyway. And it looked like their life was full of misery. And I have to just tell you, it looked like they were just holding on until the undertaker. While we over there were having a blast looking for the upper taker. And that's the way it is with Christians. God has blessed us because we have an eternal investment. Eternal investment. And I want you to know that it's a free ride. Many of you are already on it, but he doesn't want you to go by yourself. We got work to do. And that's where he said, look, there's a harvest is there. A harvest is there. I'm so glad that God saw something in me and I'm glad that as a little kid, I had people that invested in my life. Because I'm going to tell you, in the natural, it looked like they were wasting their money. In the natural, I brought nothing to the table. I was probably like, like that woman at the well. I mean, a lot of people didn't want much to do with me because I was the poorest of the poor. But I'm glad that somebody invested in me, that somebody loved me. And God so loved the world that he gave. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.